do for you now a scene from the hit motion picture Shrek. You ready? Okay. Why don't you get away from me, donkey? What you talk about get away from you? I'm Mickey Waffle. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop 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 the August edition of It Ain't Ogre Till It's Ogre. Um, I am not Will, and I'm not Matt, and I'm not Chris. Uh, you're probably wondering, who am I? So let me rip off my disguise here. Uh, my name is Corey Woodruff. Um, I am one of the co-hosts of Generation VHS, and I'm joined by my uh, fellow host of that program, Charlie Ridgely. Uh, Charlie, uh, how, how, you, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing. I'm doing good. Mm-hmm. I mean... We'll get into, I guess, the specifics of my day later when we talk about this movie. But yes. uh, all in all, I'm I'm doing pretty solid. Yes. Um, outside of the 80 minutes you spent with the Disguisey family, I'm guessing. And I mean, um, outside of the, the Disguisey family and outside of like, I guess, the whole world kind of burning and. Yes. You know, all that going on. But yes. uh, otherwise dandy. Yes, otherwise dandy as we join this illustrious podcast. Um, you're probably wondering where your normal hosts are. They are on a month break. Um, they are actually uh, in the middle of a podcast swap with the, the folks who you're listening to from Generation VHS. So uh, Will and I have been buddies for a long time, good friends, and we talked about switching our podcast up for a month. Um, our podcast generation VHS covers nineties and thousands family films and talks about their quality is how they've aged and how, what they meant to us. And if they're still, you know, things we want to engage with now. Um, and obviously this podcast is like a sister podcast to that. Only you take one film and stretch it out over 12 months and just see if you can survive. Those guys, those guys have gone through some stuff. Um, I was on one of the episodes a few years ago for cat in the hat, but it's a labor of love for them, I know, and uh, you know, I think it's it's good for them to be able to probably get a breather from this specific film at least for a month. Um, they're going to be reviewing Kangaroo Jack on our podcast. Um, that should be up here pretty soon. So if you want to hear from those guys this month, don't be afraid. They've got a podcast ready and waiting for you to listen to um, on the film Kangaroo Jack, which I'm sure like this film was quite a doozy to go back to. But um, you know, this edition of this particular month um we are going to be talking about master disguise through only watching it once because we you know i don't know if i could get through this one another time um so charlie uh tell the people who you are introduce yourself i'm charlie ridgely uh i write full-time uh for comicbook.com i'm a film critic over there uh and just a general news person talk about tv and movies and comics and do some video game stuff just uh, did a lot of work with the new madden which was, you know, the same as it is every year. Mm. Um, and then I, I get on podcasts sometimes and talk to you, Corey, about movies that we grew up with that we don't know if they're still good or not. So that's that's my life in a nutshell through this quarantine and yes. uh, COVID period. Yes, it has been a very uh, it's been a very enlightening uh, part of our lives to go back and look at these movies. Um, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Do you have a favorite one we've done so far? Favorite, or maybe I guess rephrase that a favorite movie that we've done for our podcast. 
I think my favorite movie we've done so far is we kind of plug ourselves. I think our I think Heavyweights. I think that was our best conversation. Yeah. I think it was the most enjoyable film to watch out of everything that we watched. Um, you know, maybe yeah. Sans Space Jam. Like I, I, I would agree that with yeah. I, I think the best movie we did was Shrek. But Shrek, we kind of knew yeah. going in was yes. a great movie. Will was on that podcast with us. He was, um, and uh, this podcast roots itself in yeah. Shrekdom. So we uh, couldn't do that episode without Will. Yes, being on it. Um, but that was a very fun episode to do. We did that around yes. the 20th anniversary of Shrek, um, which that being 20 is weird in and of itself. Which is um, not normally a film we'd normally cover since we try to focus on stuff that's a little bit more niche. Shrek, it's obviously a box office yeah. smash and a huge it cultural just, touchstone. It just had time. so much like tangential yeah. like connection to all the things we cover. It just it felt like we had to talk about that one. Oh, yeah. It hit um, the Venn diagram. Heavyweights, was, it was a really great episode. I really appreciate our Heavyweights episode. I think Small Soldiers is still the best movie that sans okay. Shrek my favorite Fair movie enough. that I, we've watched. Okay. That was our, that was our first episode, actually. It was. Well, I guess you don't count. Our, we did a test episode, and then our first like yes. real quote unquote official episode was, it was like back in uh, February. It was a long like time a ago. Different world. But that was that yes. was really fun to go back and watch. Yeah. Um, so go back and watch Small Soldiers. So there's a lot of good stuff. There's some there's some duds in there too. Mm-hmm. We found some real stankers. Yes. Uh, throughout our, our time so far. And we're about to start our new season. Um, yeah. We took a took a few months and kind of cleaned our brains a little bit, but we'll be back soon. But you didn't listen to this podcast to hear us plug ourselves. You know why you're here. Um, you were here to break down once again uh, as a routine, uh, a routine procedure for your podcasting, uh, the film, The Master of Disguise. Um, and we respect the fact that normally on our podcast, we talk about when things came out and provide some context for who's in it and what's the story you, we don't need to do that with you guys. You guys have been listening to this podcast all year long. You know what this movie is about. If you've really put on the boots and kind of gone into the battlefield, with these guys, you've watched this film every single month. Uh, Godspeed. If you had, I, I, I genu- genuinely don't know how you've done it, but um, we are going to be talking about this film as if we've jumped in this pool with you for a little while and process what it's like to relive uh, Dana Carvey's, um, you know, biggest individual starring role in a film it feels like, um, and what a, a abject disaster it turned out to be. Um, not to give you too many spoilers away, but um, Charlie, you thought this movie was bad, right? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. So to tie it in a little bit to to our podcast, something we do after we describe what the movie is, we talk about our relationship to it when it came out. And this movie obviously came out in 2002, so you know, 19 years ago. Um, growing up, was this a, this was not a thing that I I've I've never seen Master of Disguise before this. I've I've seen the like the turtle thing. I've seen that a million times on you know in videos or whatever. You've heard the this is what you're doing. This is what I want you to do. There's a couple lines and bits from it that I know, but I've never actually sat and watched the movie. This wasn't something that I grew up with that I watched a bunch of and had nostalgia for. It was a pretty clean slate for me going in, which made it so much worse because I don't have fond memories of like laughing to this as a kid. I don't have like, didn't sit with my brother and, and make jokes about the turtle. Man. Like it just, this was all new for me and coming in all new to this in 2021 from the lens of, oh, I watch movies and I, I write about them often. Uh, this was real bad. Like, yes. hard to watch at times bad. It is, uh, 
it is a it is not a good movie. Um, I think we should just go ahead and get that out of the way, so there's no uh, curiosity or ambiguity. Neither of us like this film in any way, shape, or form. Um, I come from the world of loving this movie when I was ten. Um, I went to go see it with my dad and my little brother. I rolled through the entire film, thought it was absolutely hysterical, was really engaged with what was going on, like was super hyped after I got out of the movie, bought the the DVDs, you know, and watched it a bunch. Like I thought it was great. Um, it's been a film that's been funny to laugh about over the years, just for like little bits that you remember. Like it's never been a movie I've forgotten between the turtle scene like, and turtle out of context by itself is very funny. Yes. That's all I've ever seen gift. is those things yes. out of context. Yes. Yes. And uh, you know, Brett Spiner's uncontrollable gas has always been something that's made me laugh. And some of the quotes in it are kind of funny, but as a whole, like this film is very bad. Um, And again, we're going to talk about why it's bad and why this is such a strange film. Um, But I think before we do that, uh, we need to kind of deal with a little bit of context about, where Dana Carvey was in his career at that time. I'm sure that Will and the guys have talked about that a little bit, but Dana Carvey obviously was a huge, huge, huge comedic presence in the late eighties, early nineties, throughout the nineties. He was, he was big. He was one of the biggest people, perhaps maybe of his time, the biggest person that was on SNL. Um, He, his uh, HW Bush impression was huge. Church lady obviously was one of the biggest SNL characters um, from that kind of era of the show. Um, Carvey was beloved, but his career kind of took a really weird detour when he and Robert Smigel and uh, uh, the aforementioned now Louis C.K. and uh, a lot of other big comedic figures like Steve Carell and Steve Colbert did this TV show, obviously called The Dana Carvey Show, which was on ABC after Home Improvement and only lasted about like six, seven episodes. It's probably a forerunner for a lot of the comedy that we have today. It was incredibly ahead of its time, very offbeat, very sketch-based. But if you like like something like Tim Robinson's I Think You Should Leave, you have to go back to something like The Dana Carvey Show because The Dana Carvey Show really put into practice a lot of the sketch, odd sketch comedy that we enjoy today. And it was on network television after Tim Allen's own improvement. Um Carvey's career obviously was still pretty successful as a stand-up after that, but his big movie role was always Garth in Wayne's World. So he never really got that big movie moment to, like, you know, have his time in the sun. And obviously Happy Madison, Adam Sandler's production company, at that time was, like, churning out movies for Columbia, of course. So, like, they had studio comedies left and right this is back in the day when you could just make a studio comedy on an original concept with a comedian and put it out in the summer and people would go watch it it's a very strange concept for people who you know weren't alive in that time or didn't remember really following movies at that time but um the master of disguise came along uh i think it had a summer release date i'm pretty sure yeah august 2nd 2002 so it's about 19 years old um it was a pretty big release i think for sony that summer dana carvey finally gets his big starring movie role and of course the the rest is is misery and history Uh, like imagine if adam sandler released the ridiculous six yes in theaters in the middle of the summer yes probably even i've not seen ridiculous six i've tried to stay away from it but i'm sure it's a worse film 
but um, just even just the con like yes. how ridiculous it is and how like yes. silly and like and if netflix didn't exist i mean sandler would have made that mm-hmm. movie one way or the other probably so it just would have gone into theaters yes and i mean I that's what this feels like to me yeah well it's like sandler's work at that time was very culturally relevant um it's not like he, the movies that people are used to adam sandler making like in the 2010s when it was just like Jack and Jill and, you know, the duo, like stuff like that. That really wasn't who Sandler was at that time. Sandler at the time was a huge box office draw. And he was somebody whose movies still had that potency to them. Um, now movies like little Nicky don't ages, you know, they don't, they didn't do quite as well. Mr. D like critically, like they're not going to get like zeros, but they're not going to be necessarily fresh. Um, but some of those films obviously have aged more enjoyably movies like uh you know like happy gilmore billy madison the uh, big, big daddy big daddy, big daddy still yeah. really great so that thing, looking back when you watch it yes that's probably the best one or at least how it holds up today that's got to be up there yeah you know and like those movies would have they have fan bases they have respect like if happy gilmore comes out today it doesn't get pans like it actually gets pretty solid reviews um it was a, a little bit of a young person's comedy at a time where film criticism was more tilted towards more your classical but happy yeah. madison did start making some a lot of decisions that didn't have anything to do with adam sandler and that's where well sure a lot of these movies yes. came from you have this movie yes you have, it's another movie that hasn't aged well grandma's boy was a happy madison production where he well, decided yeah. to put all of his supporting guys in lead roles and very funny at the time i would imagine not very funny now as no i mean yeah like the the happy mash and offshoots you're going for the rob schneider moody's you're going for stuff with david spade you're going for the stuff that like but the interesting thing to me was bucky larson born to be a star yes the happy madison movie yes (laughs) and um dickie roberts former child star um that was one of david spades oh yeah there was two former child star movies but what was interesting to me about Dana Carvey doing this movie is that, like, he's not, like, an Adam Sandler sidekick. Dana Carvey was bigger than Sandler was at the peak of SNL's popularity. Um, and that's what makes time. this movie so, yes. so like, you can Absolutely. see it play out in the movie. Like, you can see where they got the concept. Because, yes. you know, obviously his biggest role was Garth. And Garth is a beloved mm-hmm. character in a very beloved, you know, uh, duology of movies. But his biggest talent like what made Dana Carvey the funniest on SNL were his ridiculous characters yes, absolutely his over-the-top insane characters that worked so well on Saturday Night Live when he was Garth he was just Garth mm-hmm. so they said what if there was a movie where we could pack in just a ton of crazy characters for Dana Carvey well yeah because like he's a he's a world-class impressionist he is one of the best people ever to be on Saturday Night Live to impersonate other people I mean just it, that's his thing. Like, if you're going for an impressionist on a sketch variety comedy series, Dana Carvey's on your Mount Rushmore, without a doubt. So, like, they made a whole movie where Dana Carvey is doing bits, mainly sketch bits, impre- impersonating people and creating eccentric characters, which should be something that should work, but obviously when you watch this movie it, it, it just doesn't in any way shape or form um you know i think when people say movies are disasters it can be a very trite phrase um you know if you look at a film like uh 
you know, say Tom Holland's Cherry that came out earlier this year. I think when people say that's a disaster, it's just kind of a lazy coverall for a film that has a lot of problems but still has some interesting things going on. Um, this film is an absolute disaster. Okay, this is a this is a an absolute barren wasteland of creativity and execution. Um, it's a it's painfully unfunny. It's just very cringy. It's got a very unbridled performance from Carvey, very against normally, where he's very reined in and focused. It's just like scatterbrained all over the place. It doesn't have that like ability to kind of go for the stupid laughs in a positive way. Like something like Hot Rod became such a cult smash. It didn't get great reviews, but it developed a really passionate following because of the level of its humor was following that Lonely Island random sketchiness that made it so palpable. I wondered if this film would have some of that, and it does not at all. It is a it is a bizarre premise. It has no execution, no comedic timing. It's just... And, it's just, and yeah. the way, it's interesting you say that because the one thing that is funny at some very few times in this movie, the, the, the times that will get you are Dana Carvey doing an impression, like doing a, like the turtle thing. That's just what's funny about that is just Dana Carvey doing something ridiculous in that, in that small vacuum yes. again, yeah. un- disconnected from everything else going on in the movie, disconnected from the movie itself. Just that little window where you watch him pop out and say turtle, like that's yeah. funny. It's or when he, when he does the Tony yeah. Montana later in the movie and he's talking about, the little wieners and tiny nuts. Like if you detach that from the rest of the movie, just watch that in a thing. You watch Dana Carvey do that impression. That's, that's arguably kind of funny. It's but a like, terrible Tony Montana. Right. That's but the it, thing that it's, 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 it's intended like to it, be, like, I think his character, it was intended to be that way, but like maybe the, so, but I just, it, what I'm it, trying to get at is Dana yeah. Carvey's talent is, is undeniable. Well, sure. And in those little vacuum moments, you can see where the, the thought process behind all this was. Yeah. Especially if you didn't grow up watching SNL in the, in the you know early to mid nineties, like I think it's pushing it to say this film had a thought process. <laughs> but, but I guess the thought process behind putting it together, yeah, like behind saying let's make sure. this movie, yes. um, you know, there you see those little flashes from Dana Carvey. We're like, oh yeah, like he's objectively hilarious. But those are like that's like three moments in the whole movie, and they're only funny if you remove everything going on around it. It's. Trying to break down, I think, where this movie really goes wrong is that normally I don't like saying this, but it gives Dana Carvey full reign to do whatever the heck that he wants to do. And I think that's like it was just like a toxic wasteland of a decision because Carvey had never been in a position like this before. They have a premise that is just abjectly bizarre. And you try to fit him into that and basically tell him, like, we're going to basically do this very loose thread of a plot. You can literally just do whatever the heck you want. We'll get the makeup for it. Write the character. Because obviously he co-wrote the and movie. And there's so, so many of those characters yeah. that didn't even make it into the movie. Yeah, they're in the closing credits. When you watch and these strange. Oh, my God. So one of the things that living in the world we live in today, in the year of our Lord 2021, like, the post credit scene is such a thing. Thank mm-hmm. you, Marvel. Um, for making it such a thing. No, no, no. Like, you got to go back to. Well, no, no. no. I'm, I'm saying. Right. It's they have Bueller. caused it. I, I understand. Yeah. Marvel has made it a thing. Because Ferris Bueller. Did, I mean, Pirates of the Caribbean did it before Marvel. And you know how you know how much I love Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. All three of those original movies had incredible post credit. Well, the second one kind of sucked. But two, one and three had awesome post credit scenes before Iron Man existed. My point is just Marvel has made it. Yeah, this, I mean, this major thing where now every tent pole 
studio blockbuster situation has to have one. My point is we live in the era of the post credit scene. This movie just had like 37 post credit scenes. It it would not end. Like the credits were done rolling and they like they kept coming back for more stuff oh, like multiple times after the credits were done. Because they just had more stuff they wanted to shove in and it didn't it already didn't make sense in the movie that didn't make any sense. So they just they found more ways to add it. There's a conversation with him and the guy inside the slap suit mm-hmm. that they just sit and and then the dog talks. It like they keep finding bits to add in at the end when you're just like, I'm ready to stop. Well Please the film like it stop. It it's really like not to be too dark here, but it's like if you hit a deer with your car and it's just sitting there like wheezing and it's dying and it's just like just get this over with like if there's any way to put this poor thing out of its misery that's what this movie does but it just doesn't have the the courage to like cut itself off when it needs to go and it's like i get that people complain about the ending of return of the king and saying it like it takes forever to get over i would rather watch the ending of return of the king 500 times than go through this freaking miserable in credit sequence it's like watching jordan with the wizards like Oh, it is. I mean, like, like something just can't like, all right, dude, like we, it's like watching Tim Tebow with the Jaguars. I mean, it's just just an athlete that was at the peak of their career and like refuses to walk away. Like (laughs) it it is, it is bad. I mean, now granted this was never good. No, but but it it, it just, it just whimpers out and it's so sad. It's just all these random cutscenes, And like, I I can only imagine how horrible the footage is that they had to sneak into the end credit sequence. Like there's the one where it's the toy guy and it literally, it's like a horror film. It's like, this is a horrifying. Okay. So I I want to talk about this. I know that we took a really weird way to get here, but there is something in this post-credit scene that bothers me so bad. And I have to bring it up. I have to bring it. it, It's it's, because it's so gross. And I oh, get this. Yeah, yeah. So there's a obviously if, if you watch listen to this, you know the plot. But Kevin Nealon plays the founder of like Black Market eBay or Black Mark eBay or whatever that was called, where he was where the villain played by Data. I just started watching Star Trek The Next Generation, so that was weird for me too, watching mm-hmm. Brett Spiner do this, because I've been watching Data. Um he is gonna sell like he, he gets the um was it Charles Brolin? James Brolin? I think it's he gets the Brolin to do. <laughs> I'm just Brolin. blanking right now. Uh, it's I James. Think James Brolin. Yeah, it's James. He's getting him to steal all stuff and look like, um, you know, uh, uh, let's see. He was Jessica Simpson, uh, Bo Derek. Anyway, he is going to sell all these things that he gets him to steal, um, because you know Jessica Simpson was allowed to take the lunar module. From the, I don't, I don't understand. This movie was terrible. Um, but he's going to sell them all on Black Mark eBay. And Kevin Nealon, another SNL great. There was weird SNL great stuck in here. Keenan Thompson had like a, a cameo as himself at the end of the movie. But Kevin Nealon was going to help him sell all these items on Black Mark eBay. And in, in the credits, they're talking about, you know, Kevin Nealon's asking him about the master of disguise. He's like, can he really turn into anybody? He's like, uh, he says, Barbara Streisand. And immediately, then he follows like Britney Spears. And someone makes a joke. It's like, oh, like you're you're naughty, or he says something where it's like, oh, he's clearly asking. He can really turn into anyone, and it's realistic. So like, he could turn into like these gorgeous women that I'm obsessed with, these fam- and and be them, so I could spend time with them. So that that's a that's kind of a eh, like kind of gross whatever joke, but I get it. Britney Spears was 20 at the time, but like she was at the height of her Britney. 
It's so, like it's creepy. But also like I it's 2002 those Barbara Streisand is a, is a fully like, grown yeah. woman you know, like it's... Britney Spears is of it. I get it. But yeah. then Kevin Nealon leans across the table and like kind of gets a winky face and goes the Olsen twins and I about like lost myself. They were 15 when they, they were, were 15 when this movie was filmed. <laughs> Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen were 15 years old when this it's... movie was made. 16 when it was released. It's and this very... man who was insinuated that he wants the master disguise to turn into women so that he can be intimate with them then winked and asked about the Olsen twins who are 15 years old. And I understand that he's like kind of a bad guy in the movie, but it gets to a level where like this is a comedy that's not about that. And it's a very like different this, type of bad so, guy. <laughs> it takes such a dark turn so fast. And I was so grossed out by him asking about the Olsen twins. Like, I mean, I was, it was the credits. I was already way out of the movie. I had already hated the movie an hour before that, but and, like, I, also... I was ready to flip. There's also an incredible sequence where the M critics literally stopped in order to put this deleted scene in where these women with just like comically large rumps come in and start like shaking them. Because there's this whole thing where Pistachio Disguise apparently wants to be with women who have large butts because it reminds because them of Because they're like mom. his mother. Yeah, because that's, you know, th- that doesn't need to be broken down very deeply in like multiple therapy sessions. But like, and then like the bad guy sends out these women with these just huge hineys and they shake them and like zap. It's 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 like if you took a scene from an Austin Powers movie and then just like dunked it in like a spike the spiked punch from Gaspar Noe's climax. Like, and that, it's that's such a, what, it's such an awful recurring joke movie. that they fit in there because yeah. the whole movie. I mean, they're auditioning like a sidekick, Jennifer Esposito, who's the Jennifer yeah. Esposito, right? Um, yes. Who is now in the Boys, where she's very good. Um, you know, she comes in to audit, to to uh, apply for this job as his assistant, and she is like an objectively gorgeous woman, you know, and they, they, they definitely play to that where she is supposed to be the woman that's out of his league, you know? Uh, and you know, he has a cool relationship with her son and all this stuff. And he keeps in front of her talking about how he's like, yeah, she's fine, but she doesn't have a big ass like my mom. And that, that keeps coming up over and over throughout the movie. And it it makes me squirm, and I don't like it. One because of the whole mom thing, but again, like you said, that's a whole different scenario. But like, we're gonna take this beautiful woman, and we're just gonna be like, oh no, like you you don't look like my mom, so I don't know if I'm interested. Like he's the one that had to come around to just as much as she had to come around to him, he had to come around to her because her butt wasn't big enough. Yeah, and like it's a recurring joke over the course of eighty minutes several times they make this joke he's like even though your your rump's not whatever it's like i can't handle this again and then it would happen again i I paused and started this movie several times i'll be honest i really want to meet i this is this is a very very small diatribe the mpaa has been doing horrible 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 practice for so long and misrating movies how the hell did this movie get a pg because there were no cuss words or boobs it, it's, it's literally that that's the standard yeah like I'm, not, I'm 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 kind of being funny but i'm also being very genuine like yes you can I, get anything in a pg movie yes. if you don't show nudity and you don't say cuss words this movie didn't say a lot of cuss words you can say ass as many times as you want to think um or damn but like you can't i, I i'm not saying the other words on this because it's a podcast that i don't want to get stamped with a a uh, a bad label um, or an adult label, 
So I won't say the other words, but any of those other words, if you put it in there, it's automatically PG-13. So they they avoided that and they avoided nudity. And so here we are, no matter how, how adult or creepy the themes are, it's going to be PG. Yes. It's just how it's going to work. And so, it is, it's a very strange PG. PG-13 has been, been around for what, 15 years at that point? Yeah, I guess. But also, it feels like this is the type of movie where they gave it a PG-13 cut, but then someone was just like, look, you take out like this one thing, we'll get you to PG. So you it's 100%. It, I mean, 100%. Audiences now would, would look at it as a PG-13 movie. Probably. Um, well, it, I mean, there's just, a lot of things that wouldn't, like all the Olsen jokes, all the jokes about the... Well, yeah, I mean, hopefully... There's a lot of things that wouldn't fly. The, and and the, <laughs> like, you want to talk about things that don't fly. My man, Dana Carvey, is in brownface 20 minutes into this film. Yep. Yep. Full on pretending to be uh, a, an Arabic man well, it's who can like if, charm if, snakes. If you thought Apu was bad, then you you really need to. Oh, yeah, this is rough. And, yes, and it's such it's a caricature. Bad. And then later, or he, that's when he, he plays uh, a saxophone with a, with a recorder it's... and his friends. Here's another thing. Speaking of that, I really had, and I might have to ask Will about this. Let's take away all the bad things about this movie, about how it's made and how unfunny it is and offensive and all this stuff. And let's just actually focus on the lore of the movie itself, because the lore of the of the movie itself does not make any sense to me. No. And I'm having a real hard time unpacking it. And a lot of it hinges on that. The snake charmer bit is where I kind of thought of it. But like, so the master of disguise, they had, they're in the disguise family. They've all they're all masters of disguise throughout history, whatever. The masters of disguise can disguise themselves as anybody. And we see James Brolin throughout the movie disguising himself as people. And not just James Brolin playing these people. He is literally Jessica Simpson until he pulls his mask off. He is literally Bo Derek until he pulls the mask off. Like, he is these people fully in voice, in look, in everything. Because he's a master of disguise. And throughout it, you have Dana Carvey, who's an apprentice master of disguise. He cannot turn into people. He he does himself as other people. And I get it. He's an apprentice. I guess that's how you can explain that away, is that he can't turn into people fully because he's still learning. But at the end of the movie, he becomes a full master of disguise. And then he goes and does the George W. Bush thing, George H.W. Bush, when he goes to find Brett Spiner and get the Declaration of Independence back. Why doesn't he look just like, why, like, why isn't it just George H.W. Bush? Or George W. Bush, whichever one he's trying to be. Why isn't it just them? Why does he still look like Dana Carvey doing them? And then they go to the bodyguards, who are then his father and grandfather. They're not done up like the bodyguards. They look like the actors that play. Like it, it does. It has its own rules about how they do disguises, and then it does not follow them at all because they want people to be like they wanted those cameos throughout the movie, and then they wanted to like show the effect of it being the bodyguards. There. I, I don't understand any of the rules forget it charlie it's disguise it bothers down. me so bad forget i mean it, a lot of things bother me about this movie but it just i could not stop thinking about that for a long time after watching the movie today uh it, it made no sense man it made for, no sense forget it charlie it's disguise you down That's you just you, have to yeah, let it go i know you've made it that joke a couple times and i, didn't I, like I have it to keep time. making it because that's the only way you can look at this movie Oh, it's I know, just, I know, I know. It's it's a fool's errand to try and unpack the lore yeah, of this, but like, I just I can't get over it because it seems so simple. 
Like it's such an easy, oh, you can do this and you can do that. And it just, it was never even like brought up. No one ever cared no, to talk about it. This movie is structured around a comedian being able to do a vanity project that he probably never should have ever acted on. And then Sony gave them money to just be like, look, we'll just pay for it. You do what you do. We'll make some money. And it made I assume 40, this, this did, it, did, it, did it make money? It did. It made $43 million, um in 2002, which is like... Well, what was the budget for it? Sixteen. So Okay, it, so it, it... It did all right. It did a little bit more than break even when you consider yeah. marketing. It's, it that was, astounds it was, me. Yeah, it was like a modest thing. But like, if you go back to 2002 in film... What was his competition that weekend? I would be very interested in finding that out because, I mean, these were it was a tentpole release. Like as strange as it is to say that out loud, like this was a this was a primary film that came out into theaters for people to take their families to go see. Crossover uh, fun fact for those of you who don't listen, to Generation VHS. You know what else was a tentpole release that you've completely forgotten about? Osmosis Jones. Oh yeah, that was a totally. big time summer push movie from Warner Brothers. That unlike. The Master of Disguise absolutely flopped, lost yes. big bucks at the box office. Uh, I'm just trying to fill while Corey looks up what else. Well, was what's interesting is that the Stuart Disguise. the Little Two comes out July the 19th. Country Bears is the 26th. This is the <laughs> second, and then the very I good forgot Country Bears ever existed. Oh gosh, that's one we're completely forgot yeah. about that movie it's... ever being a thing. Yeah, I and, I, and now that you say it, I had it on DVD. I don't. I I I owned it. We listened I, to I did not remember it until you I, just said that. I remember that movie very well. My wife's a big Stuart Little fan, so I've I've known about that. So those two came out. The Master of Disguise came out the second, and then the very good Spy Kids to the Island of Lost Dreams comes out the seventh. So it has competition. It's like that's the thing that there were movies for families to go see. Like earlier in July. You had uh, the Crocodile Hunter movie came out. Um, Powerpuff Girls, like Mike, was a pretty good little success. Oh, like Mike was out. Was, it, was Jeff, Jonathan Lipnicki in there with Bow Wow? Yeah. Oh, what a good one. So there were a lot of family films for it to compete with. So it like it and this was the least audience. family of the family films. Yes, easily, easily, easily the least accessible for family, but it, it did its thing. Um, it's one of those movies where it's not going to get made today, obviously, because the nature in which we create comedy has changed and we can't just get one person and make a weird concept and just throw it out there with whatever budget, because that's just not how people want to engage with comedy now um, in a general sense. But there is just something very, it just feels like a movie that was doomed from the start. It just felt like it was a bad idea with an actor who is historically very talented that had absolutely no idea how to rein in his lesser impulses to craft any sort of meaningful comedy out of this. Um, it's just such a strange, strange, strange fever dream of a film. Here, also, here's a fun thought experiment that yeah. I just, I just discovered in my own brain. Um, what would happen today if we just gave Tim Robinson a feature film and said, do what you will. I mean, it would be great. I, I think it'd be much better because he's he approaches well, things differently. Well, yeah. I mean, but I, I just I, I it's more about I'm excited by that idea. Well, sure. If we gave Robinson or if Netflix gave Robinson what Sony gave Dana Carvey, and it's like make sketches into a movie, it'd be so it, weird. It would be, and really, the one thing that like 
I would compare this movie to. Um, I think if you went for a dichotomy of two creatives in this time period being given films that they literally could just do whatever they wanted. One would be The Master of Disguise, which is more of the studio-friendly version of a, a comedian who's very tapped out at this point in terms of creating for the screen. Obviously, Dana Carvey's career has not produced a lot since then. Um, it felt like kind of a last call for him, kind of an encore Vegas show of doing his shtick before he realized that it kind of passed out of not only relevancy, but creative potential. And then you look at a film like Freddy Got Fingered, which was obviously reviled at the time as one of the worst movies of all time that has later been culturally re-examined to see that it might be one of the most provocative piece of Dadaism that's ever gotten through the studio system um, to be made. And Tom Green is nowhere near at the reputation of where Dana Carvey was, but like, if there's anything you can see is that one of those movies clearly has gotten some sort of respect going on for it now, but the master of disguise isn't just an abjectly terrible film through and through. Oh yeah. And I didn't mean to suggest that, uh, Tim Robinson's movie would be, would be bad. I think it would be. No, fantastic. no, no, no. I just, I'm just curious to know what that would look like. Into, I don't even think Tim Robinson would well, do it. I think honestly. it brings in an interesting point to suggest that like sometimes like just because someone is good at one thing, they may not be good at the other thing. Um, Dana Carvey is one of the best comedians of the nineties. He's a, he's a, he was an, an undeniable presence. His television show on ABC obviously is a monumental moment for comedy, even though it didn't last very long. It really, sparked a lot of excitement for folks and became something more and more as time went on. There's a really great documentary called uh, too big to fail on that. Um, about the, I think it's called too big to fail, about the Dana Carvey show, I'd recommend checking it out if you haven't seen it. It's a good little watch, but, um, that's why, like when people are like, Oh, Dana Carvey does impressions for a comedy. Sony chase like here, here's your check. Go for it, man. That sounds great. And then it, while it made some money, it has one positive review on Rotten Tomatoes. Like that's how bad this movie is. It is a film free of any sort of editing or it's just, it's just a bunch of jumbled scenes together. It's, it's a pathetic excuse for a movie. Um, there's not uh, I will say just, just real quick, there are eight yeah. episodes of um, the Dana Carvey show. Yeah, the, the last um, one didn't air. They are on uh, Crackle, Plex, and, and yep. Philo, like those, those free services. Yes. They are all on there to be watched. Yes. If you want um, to see Bill Clinton breastfeed puppies and kittens with artificial nipples, um, that's the place to go. Um, that was the very first sketch that they ever aired. And uh, if you want to see Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert before they're people that you recognize, that's where they got their start out of uh, out of their uh, kind of stand up comedy or kind of comedy troupe days. So that's a very, very good program that has aged in esteem. Well, The Master of Disguise um, is like the last thing Dana Carvey really did that had a big wide release. And it's it is very bad. Um, obviously, you know, he probably could have made more movies like this, but I do wonder if this film creatively tapped him out. Like, I do wonder if like this film just being such a disastrous experience really just like made him just kind of want to throw in the towel and be like, yeah, I'm good. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to be a family guy. I'm going to enjoy my, my, my life and just not try to worry about creativity because the, the, the ship had clearly passed him in terms of being able to channel what made him popular into anything meaningful with that film. Corey, I do have to ask you, um, I know we talked about the turtle thing is like, 
the, the longest lived bit from this. Is there anything when you watched it today that made that genuinely made you laugh? Is there like was there any any moment that like was actually because I, I have there was one thing that I like I cackled at and I don't I can't tell you why because I don't know why. Um, but I, I'm curious to see if there was anything that you actually found funny. I mean, there were little things here and there where I just kind of smirked um, because it's just, you know, it's stupid. I mean, the only stuff in the film I feel like genuinely works, and it's for a very definitive reason, and it, I hate saying this, but the, the ceiling of this film are fart jokes. And when the ceiling of your film is a fart joke, you really need to reevaluate a lot of stuff. And it's because the villain, Brett Spiner, um, will like go on these evil laughs. And every single time he tries to evil laugh, he just poots. <laughs> and then the scene just stops. You can't even just... say poot without laughing. I know. I know. But that's the it's thing. It's a problem. I mean, you're it, like, you're I know. getting close to 30. I, hey, if the child at heart lives longer. It's, it's scientifically proven. But um, there's just. And the camera lingers long enough to where you just see this disappointment and shame just sink into his face. And it's always in front of James Brolin. And Brolin just kind of sits there. It undercuts any of the mood. It progresses throughout the movie. Because the first time he's yes. like, oh, I didn't hear anything. And then he gets like real yes. upset with himself. Yes. It just, it, just, it just really, it keeps happening and happening and happening. And it is such a stupid, funny little moment. Brett Spiner plays it just every, his emotions just get so different every single time where it's just like the whole movie just stops and he just has to like reflect on himself and all this insanity going on. Like I just can't do the evil laugh without farting. I don't know what he's eating. I don't know what was his diet. Like, I don't know. There's just, he's like, he had like this hope that maybe I can laugh without flatulating and it never happens. There's never a moment where he doesn't, you know, just, you know, rip one. And if, again, it's not good for this film that that's the funniest part about it. If your villain passes Well, gas, to be fair, I don't think that's the funniest part about it. But I I, I get what you're saying. I, I would say the <laughs> turtle thing is the funniest thing, but it's just so uncomfortably weird. I just, I didn't think in, it was In funny. context, like, if yeah, you just context, see a video of horrible. turtle, it's hilarious. But um, I will say, yeah. just on your Brad Spina thing, before I say the what made me laugh um he looked more like jim rome than brett spiner yes and all i could think about was him being jim rome from formerly of espn and that was hard to just sit through in and of itself um there was a moment that i I got genuinely it just caught me off guard and i I cackled aloud um when pistachio is getting into it with jennifer's boyfriend outside of her house and it's the scene where you're like, you learn like, oh, Pistachio is great with kids, specifically her son. And this guy is not like he's just the jerk boyfriend. Mm. And the kid's trying to learn how to skateboard and, and Pistachio had given him like elbow pads so he didn't get hurt. But the guy is trying to pretend like he's good with a kid. And he's like, oh, yeah, hey, grind that curb. And the kid like tries to do something and just like plants into this bush like just wipes out and i again i think it was because i wasn't expecting it and because the guy was so confident of like you can do it kid and the kid listened and he just hurt himself yes and it was so funny watching that kid fall on that skateboard i don't know uh, why but it was very funny to me i did not laugh the rest of the movie but that one like shot got me good it 
it's weird. I feel like this is the most scatterbrained conversation we've ever had, but it's like, I don't understand how to have a conversation about this movie. You just sit there and you watch it and you just kind of be like, this happened. I mean, it's clearly just like this bankrupt vision of a creative who has clearly leaning on his like it's like trying again it is like trying to watch an athlete at the end of his career like a pitcher whose arm is just shot at this point it's like the the pitch isn't gonna work anymore um carvey's bit just you know his impressions here are flat his characters are unmemorable outside of the turtle but that's like memorable for some other reasons and the cherry pie is memorable for other reasons that are very terrifying um you know he literally in this film one of his characters is a pile of poop on grass it's his face it's like someone stepping in poop and it's like his face and i really genuinely feel like that suit captures the spirit of this film i feel like i was grass that got pooped on and stepped on it's not a good film i feel like an idiot as a 10 year old for enjoying this and what what bothers me is that i was really hoping there'd be like this glimmer of like this is fun to watch because it's so terrible you know like I i really enjoy sitting and watching the room there's but nothing the room, enjoyable there, about this. This doesn't have that because, like, the room is funny because it's like it's like Tommy Wiseau wasn't in on the joke, but like in oh, this, yeah. there's just there's no disguising what was going on. No, no, no pun this, intended. Like, it's just it's just they, bad. they they meant to make this movie, and it hurts. There are parts of this movie it hurts watching. It's just re- really, really bad. Yeah, like I said, I had to stop and start multiple times because it was just like I can't. I don't know how to keep watching this. The only creature that emerges from this film unscathed is the cuteness the dog that is the only character in this movie that does its lines well the dog the dog rides the skateboard <laughs> so it's just like i'm sorry if we're going for artistic well, did you notice the um like a, like uh well the kid version of you know like at the beginning when they're going through a uh, pistachio's life one of the kids yeah, was yeah, yeah. one of the um sprouse twins oh was it really first was it sprout Sprouse twins were yeah. were uh, Zach and Cody, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of them when when he does the science experiment and blows mm-hmm. up in his face, that was one of the Sprouse twins. Small world. Yeah, they were Happy Madison guys because they did. Uh, they big, did. They, yeah. they they were they were Big Daddy. Big Daddy. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. I. They were somebody else young too. Like as they were another. They were in another movie. Oh, they were, um, Ross's kid, oh. in Friends. I never watched. Um, they were the. Uh, I think they were they were the kid or they were. Ross and Rachel's baby. They were one of the, one of Ross's kids mm-hmm. in Friends. Uh, was played by the Sprouse twins. So uh, shout out to the cuteness. Um, shout out to the Sprouse twins. Um, shout out to that one fart running gag, and shout out to the turtle memes. But everything else in this movie can take a hike, as far as I'm concerned. My nostalgia for it was unfounded, and I will no longer try to look at this film as anything but just a, a really really bad motion picture. Like I, I don't I don't want to say this like to be mean or weird or like, and I also don't want to like be hyperbolic. It's truly one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Yeah. I don't think like genuinely no, I'm not trying to stretch it's it. Like, it's real bad. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a horrible film. I, I don't think, I think you're part of it was just because here. I've never, I've never seen it before. I think you're pretty safe saying that. <laughs> it's, Especially it's watching it for the first man. time as a person, uh, you know, in, in your thirties, like, there's there's nothing wrong with being in the boat of finding the master disguised to be an abject disaster. But if you're listening to this podcast, that means that uh, you've still got a ways to go. Um, your sentence is not over yet. You've still got uh, September, October, November, and December. So just 
finish that final stretch of the year, guys. Um, I'm not going to watch this movie anymore. Not at all. I'm going to spend my time doing other things. But if you want to keep watching this movie, more power to you. Um, good to support Will, um, Matt, and Chris in their pursuits of this uh, really interesting progress of watching this film so many times and trying to continue to talk about it. I mean, I struggled talking for you know less than an hour, so I can't imagine doing this 12 times a year. So much respect to them. But that's our conversation. Um, we have closed the disguise book, I suppose, and have burned it thoroughly and stepped on its ashes and celebrated like the guys in office space destroying the printer. Um, Charlie, is there anything else you want to say about this movie before we let these poor people get back to their regular lives? Now, there's a bit when Abraham Lincoln dances to I like to move it, move it. Sure. Back in the 1800s. And that really threw me off. Yeah. I don't have any I don't have any commentary to add to that. I just I witnessed it and I feel like I have to say it. I think that's when I was really like, this is a not that anything else before that. Oh, everything before was bad. But in that moment, I'm like, this isn't going to get better. No, that was like a moment where it's just like, we know it's terminal. There's no turning back. It's malignant. We're not like it was bad when he was when he was painted brown. It was already like, okay, this is this isn't good. That moment with Abe Lincoln, I was like, oh, no. Okay, here's a question. What's worse, this or the Love Guru? I've never seen the Love Guru. Oh man, it's also very bad. I believe it. It seems I, like Michael Myers' I'd version of Master Disguise. I almost give that like just a little bit of an edge because I've always that. wanted to watch it, knowing that it's just awful. Yeah, like there are some little things here and there in that movie that are going for it, but like it's still like it's it's, it's a horror. I remember film. thinking the trailers looked bad when I was in high school, so. You, can't. you saved yourself some time. But I'm, I'm saying like, I've never felt that about about stuff that was actually bad. Like yeah. when I was in high school, I didn't like No Country for Old Men because I was an idiot. Yeah. You know, I like, didn't like Michael Clayton in high school. Everybody has those. Well, yeah, well, what I'm saying is like for me to have said like this looks bad and then it actually turned yeah. out to be bad is so rare. Yeah. Well, that's Master of Disguise, folks. Um, you have been listening to It Ain't Ogre Till It's Ogre. Um I'm Corey Woodruff. You can find me on Twitter at Corey Woodruff 47. Um, not talking about the master of disguise ever again, um, unless I'm making a comment about how bad it is. Mm-hmm. You'll probably be complaining about movies and the state of movies specifically. Good. Um, I'll be complaining about Spider-Man at, at Charlie Ridgely. Um, that's my new hobby on Twitter because I'm the only, I seem, I feel like I'm in the minority and so I have to have fun with it while I can. Um, yeah, at Charlie Ridgely is where you can find me and I don't talk about Master of Disguise very often, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, but you can also find us, uh, mm-hmm. our podcast is Generation VHS on Twitter at Gen VHS. We'll be um, back soon. Yep. We're coming back with our second season. You're going to, we're going to have a, a little, in, a little bridge episode between season one and season yep. two, which will be Will and the guys, mm-hmm. uh, doing Kangaroo Jack for us. And then we're going to, we're going to rev up with some Space Jam, mm-hmm. uh, kind of going into this. Uh, the the latter half of this year. So while we yes. are not going to watch the same bad movie over and over again every month, I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna watch some some bad movies Probably here so. in the coming months. Um, we're gonna watch some good ones, I bet. But we're I'm Hopefully. I'm sure we're gonna watch some bad ones, such um, as digging into this era of film. I mean, you've already mentioned watching Country Bears, so I think yes. we're on the right track to uh, <laughs> seeing some weird stuff from the late nineties or two thousand. All right. Well, that's our show. Um, thank you for having us as your guests. Um, as much as 
you know, we've been hosting, you've been hosting as well, having us join this podcast this month. Special shout out to Will, Matt, and Chris for allowing us to uh, fill the airwaves a little bit. And uh, we will be, you know, thinking of you guys and our thoughts and prayers um, as you continue to engage with this terrible film. So uh, Godspeed to all of you. Um, may your uh, may your turtle clubs be turtly and um, may may your dogs ride skateboards, may your cherry pies spit uh, cherries at you, and may your um, I don't know where you're going with this, and it's it's getting you're like the ending of Master of Disguise right now. We just need to say goodbye to these people. Well, see, now I need to keep going <laughs> to honor the spirit of this. So, um, may your uh, may your may your Keenan Thompson cameos be uh, very well. Keenan. We've done three Keenan Thompson movies. No, two Keenan Thompson movies. Yeah. Shout out I guess a third one coming at some point because we had to do- No, we've done three. We did Good Burger. No, we did we Heavyweights. And now we've done Master of Disguise. Well, which is a, but we, it's we, a Keenan we Thompson did, film. He has well, his own. I guess what I was getting at is we're, at some point we'll do Mighty Ducks. We did the first Mighty Ducks. We'll do D2 yeah. at some point. Keenan arrives in the Mighty Ducks franchise yes. in D2. Not not the first film. He's great. We're really going to keep this going. Really on. against type in heavyweights. We're really, really fantastic. Just keep saying Stephen Brill liked our podcast. So yeah, that, which he, was really fun. Did. Even though yeah, I'm still not nice. convinced it was actually Stephen Brill. It was. It was him. That's a whole. He, debate he complimented me on the phone, which was nice. Yes. He said he appreciated what we do on the phone, so I at least have that as like yeah, real confirmation. Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, um, shout out. Stephen to Brill us. directed, wrote the original Mighty Ducks, and then. He uh, he directed M-A-S-T-E-R-U-X. heavyweights and, and uh, it's you said we were going to keep going and find things to talk about like post credit scenes. We're going to keep going. So I was I was just giving you Stephen Bills. How filmography. bothersome was it that there was a man living inside of that punching dummy? We have no idea. Oh, how he, he was access. a tiny man. Did he have access to food and water? Like, was he? Just, has he just lived there for years? I don't know, like, but he smacked the hell out of Dana Carvey. He did, but also, like, does he have a family? Like, I, I, I just there's just a certain level where I was really bothered rewatching this. You like, told me not to keep he, wa- talking about the lore of it. Is he okay? Like, is, does he? Like, well, he's, just he's in drinking the attic a coke with Dana suit? Carvey at the end of the movie. I mean, I guess is he like they patched it up, but it's they, just yeah, like, but they patched it up because they were beating the hell out of each other, and then all of a sudden they were they, they were patched were, up. But, like, how long has that guy been in that suit? Like, has it been like for decades? Like, well, how is, old it, is... maybe it's like the you know they have the uh, the nest in a in a box or nest in a suitcase or whatever. I, like I, maybe inside the the slap suit, it's like it's like a world, a or something? whole like world. Like he has a whole little family in there. Yeah, but then like is is he now left it? Like no, he, like he he goes back. He like trains oh. his kids to do the slapping, or is he so he can like retire? Or or do the disguises keep this guy trapped in there to punch dummy people when they train master of disguises, which seems to have happened like three times in the last maybe like, he's a mini me hundred years to James Brolin. Maybe, but also, what if like this whole time the disguises of the bad guys and like Brett Spiner's trying to raise money to like help get them? I won't go that far, but maybe they're all bad guys. You remember when he stole the Declaration of Independence? He beat Nick Cage to it. He did. He did. Um, it was. It was. It which was is Brett disappointing Spiner because first. who who yeah. was it that stole the Declaration? Which which famous person stole the Declaration? Uh, I don't remember. Nick Cage. But, no, no, no! I'm talking about in the movie when he's, oh, it he was, was like doing it was disguises. whoever the world's fastest man was at that time. I can't remember. Oh yeah, name. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael, so, uh, Michael something, Maybe? Johnson. Um, yeah. Was anyway, it was, yeah. it was it was his simple like a common last name. Um, yeah. But he, uh, yeah, he he took because all I know is uh, um, 
Jessica Simpson took like the the Moonlander or whatever. Yeah, we haven't even touched on the fact that uh, um, the uh, the the mom who's like eating magic popcorn that makes her not know what's going on when she's under captivity, and then somehow she just gets this foresight to know that I'm eating magic popcorn. And oh yeah, eating. oh yeah, and you know what we're gonna do? We're not gonna address it. Nope. Y'all enjoy y'all enjoy your time. No, nope. on Earth without this movie. <laughs> that was. Uh... That's the ceiling of that movie. It's just that noise. No, you have to cut it off after the fart sound. I guess. Or I guess we're going to keep it because it's the spirit of the movie. But then we stop and then we come back and we're sitting around drinking sodas, wondering why the audience is still there to rip off the Ferris Bueller bit. So that's it. So much to do, so much to see, 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 so much to do, so much to see. You are not welcome here. You and you get off.